welcome. We are happy to be back with another episode of Positively Pro-Life podcast featuring another wonderful guest. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Remel Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and joining me is our very own Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher. Hi, Maria. Hi, Remel. It's great to be with you today. It's always a pleasure hosting with you. Thank you. In today's episode, we will explore the work of a network of pro-life organizations in Pennsylvania that operate under the name Promise of Life Network. Their vision is to see a community where life is cherished from conception to natural death. The services that they provide run the gamut, pregnancy resource centers, pregnancy loss healing services, relationship talks, and much more. A more recent development is a chat line offering at-home abortion facts to women seeking chemical or self-induced abortions. So we invited Michaela Covington from the Promise of Life Network to talk with us a little bit about the work that they do today. Now, before we go into our guest interview, let's hear the legislative update for the week from Maria. Thank you so much, Remmel. The following is from National Right to Life. Chemical abortions now account for the deaths of over 50% of the babies lost to abortion. There are many reasons for the huge increase, but likely at the top is the blatant lie that medication abortions are safe and indeed safer than taking Tylenol. We asked Dr. Randall K. O'Bannon, NRLC's Director of Education and Research, to address this defense of the first of the two drugs that make up medication or chemical abortions. And he said, considered in terms of deaths per dose, it simply isn't so. What you have here is a not so clever statistical sleight of hand. Advocates try to get you to compare the number of deaths from a relatively lightly used product with one that is used billions of times by people every year. We are told that about 150 Americans die from Tylenol use every year, usually by overdose or simply taking too much over an extended period of time. At the same time, the FDA tells us that there have been 28 deaths that we know of among American mifepristone patients since the drug was approved in 2000. So 28 deaths from mifepristone in 20 years against 150 deaths from Tylenol in just a single year's time? Sounds like mifepristone is safer, but wait, that's 150 Tylenol deaths against a backdrop of 25 billion doses of Tylenol in a year. We're told that there have been only 5.6 million total chemical abortions with mifepristone in the US since that 2000 approval. That is less than a thousandth of the sales of Tylenol in a single year. Note what this does to your risk factor. Using the minimal figures provided by the FDA, your risk of dying from taking mifepristone is about one in 200,000. Not large, but not negligible. And remember that your risk of a complication putting you in the emergency room is closer to one in 10. 
But your risk of death from Tylenol is actually something like one chance in 166.7 million, even including those who overdose and fail to follow the manufacturer's instructions. This means that your risk of dying from mifeprostone is about 833 times your risk of dying from Tylenol. That's quite a bit, and that's why this drug is so dangerous and should be banned. Remmel. Thank you, Maria. That was so relevant to the conversation we will be having in a short while. Our guest will speak more about uh, real-life situations of where chemical abortions and self-induced abortions are taking place. But before that, we have our inspiration story of the week. We have an author in our midst, and it's none other than Maria Gallagher, who just gave us the legislative update. Now, she has her second and newest book, Mercy's Power, has just hit the virtual shelves, and we couldn't be prouder. It's a spiritual pro-life handbook for those who are fueled by their faith, and I got to read a little bit of it beforehand, and it is full of wisdom from her lived experiences and her life doing the pro-life work. I have known Maria for only a short time now, but her passion for life comes across through, comes through in her work, her writings, and in the way that she relates to the people around her. So as a treat to our listeners, I asked Maria if she could read a snippet from her book, and she joyfully agreed. So Maria, would you read to us? I would be happy to, Ramel. Uh, the book is called, again, Mercy's Power, and this is what Mercy's Power is designed to be, a trusty companion for our journey. For those who seek to transform the culture, the journey represents both a spiritual climb and a sojourn paved with acts of mercy. Think of it as combining the best of the biblical sisters, Mary and Martha. We must be attentive while also extending hospitality to our fellow men and women. As I recall, I did not have a clear picture of abortion until I was in seventh grade and our school principal led us down to the state capitol where we conducted a silent prayerful protest against the 1973 United States Supreme Court decision known as Roe v. Wade. That single court decision led to the deaths of scores of millions of unborn babies and left their mothers grieving for the children they would never hold in their arms. What a wonderful day it was on June 24, 2022, when the U.S. Supreme Court tossed out Roe and declared that abortion policy should be decided by individual states. It is likely that all of us, to a greater or lesser extent, have struggled to overcome the damage caused by an anti-life culture. Some are mothers and fathers who have sacrificed their own children, some are grandparents who have lost their descendants to abortion. Others have had their families shattered by the horror of assisted suicide or have had loved ones threatened by euthanasia. Please rest assured of my prayers as you continue on the path to healing and hope. All of us can serve as wounded healers using the lessons we have learned about the devastation of death culture to reach out to others who are struggling. Here you will find encouragement for your advocacy efforts, whether that takes you to the halls of pregnancy resource centers or to the corridors of your state capital. 
And that's just a snippet of the book Mercy's Power, which is available from Marion Press. Remmel. Thank you so much, Maria. That was wonderful. Our guest, Michaela Covington, is the Director of International Operations at Promise of Life Network, a medical pregnancy network that serves five counties in Western Pennsylvania. She heads an international chat line that has served over 15,000 women from 63 countries in the short time since its conception. Welcome, Michaela, to our podcast. We're so glad that you're with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, so um, oh, this is something that um, I, I was very impressed uh, with, with your talk uh, when I was at Grove City Conference. And, and I did a little bit of research into what you do. And there's just so much uh, good pro-life work that you're doing. And uh, like I shared, there are so many aspects to this network. Um, so could you tell us how and why Pro Promise of Life Network came to be? Sure. So we're um, a medical pregnancy network. Um, we're based in Western Pennsylvania. So we serve five counties. Um, I always tell people basically think the space between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Erie, Pennsylvania, we kind of service everything in between. Um, and we provide medical services like pregnancy tests and ultrasounds. Um, we also are capable of doing STD testing. Um, so we offer that as well. And then we also have um, a parenting program that provides material support. So baby clothes, diapers, formula. Uh, parents can come and take educational classes with us to learn about things like baby's nutrition and setting schedules. And they earn, we call them mom dollars, um, to spend in the store to buy those um, necessary items to care for their children. And in addition to that, we also have a fatherhood program. Um, we have a fatherhood coordinator um, who is just the greatest guy who works with these dads um, and is able to provide um, some male guidance uh, that they really need, I think, to become great fathers. Um, we also are in the public schools. We have an abstinence department. Um, so Pennsylvania still requires that abstinence be taught in schools. Um, and so we are more than happy to go into public schools and speak with their health classes about um, sexual activity, about healthy relationships, things like that. And so we serve, I think, 32 different schools right now um, teaching in their classrooms. And then we also have um, support groups for those who have gone through abortion and are looking for post-abortive healing. Um, as well as women who have suffered miscarriages or other types of infant loss. Now, I specifically work in our international department, so I'm the director of international operations. And most people are surprised to find out we even have an international department because we're like a random pregnancy mm -hmm. center in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. um, but what happened was back in 2019, we were starting to become more aware of the at-home abortion issue here in the United States. Um, and we decided that, hey, we want to look into resources, like what's out there about the abortion pill. And we weren't really finding anything um, from a pro-life perspective. And so we launched a website called athomeabortionfacts.com that was geared towards just practical, reliable information, medically accurate information about what abortion pills are, um, the dangers that are associated with them. At the time, the FDA had a black box warning on abortion pills um, and just explaining questions that you should ask your doctor before taking these pills, what to do if there's an emergency, those types of things. 
And like any good social media marketer would do, we made a Facebook page with the same name mm-hmm. at Home of Worship Box just because, you know, it's so creative. We didn't want anyone to steal it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the day that that Facebook page went live, uh, we actually received a message from a woman who was in a different country. And the message said something along the lines of, I'm interested in doing an at-home abortion. Can you help me? And we we panicked a little bit because we're, we're not in the country she was from. Uh, and we were able to find a pregnancy network in her country. And we were like, hey, we hear you, um, but this is a bad idea because, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. Please talk to this pregnancy center. And over the next couple of months, that kind of continued to happen on this Facebook page. We, we just kept getting messages from women who were interested in doing abortions at home, and we would try to find a pregnancy center near them um, and refer them that way. And it just kept increasing. The, the number of clients went from a couple every couple of weeks to a couple a week to a couple of days. And then in November of 2020, we actually talked to over 700 women in one month and we have maintained that number pretty much ever since we talked to several hundred women um every single month on this chat line and since since i actually gave you that original biography that you read we've actually talked to over eighteen thousand women from 74 different countries so it's just it's just taken off um, and become a thing of its own and we're so we're so privileged to to be a part of it That's simply incredible. Thanks for sharing that with us. What's dangerous about women performing self-induced abortions? Absolutely. Um, That's one of the things that we are talking about with these women on the chat line the most. Um, One of the big dangers is that a woman might not necessarily know how far along she actually is in a pregnancy. Um, Some of them might have an idea, but I think every single pregnancy center you talk to, whether in the States or abroad, has one of those stories of a client who came in thinking that they were seven weeks along and they do an ultrasound and lo and behold, she's 15, 16, 17 weeks. Um, So it's just not, uh, it's not safe when you don't know exactly how far along the client is. And most of these women on the chat line, especially have not had any sort of confirmation ultrasound done. So they are purely guessing. Um, A lot of them aren't even able to provide a a last menstrual period. So it really is a guessing game about how far along they are when they're taking those pills. And that can be especially dangerous uh, because they're not intended to be late term abortions, right? Like the, in the States, um, you know, they're supposed to be used for anything under 12 weeks. I know that there's been some legislation going back and forth in the Supreme Court recently about that. But as it stands, anything less than 12 weeks is what the abortion pills are designed for. And these women have no idea how far along they are. Uh, Additionally, without a confirmation ultrasound, we also don't know if the pregnancy um, is located where it's supposed to be, right, in the uterus. Um, So we might be dealing with a client who has an ectopic pregnancy and doesn't know it. Um, And that can be an incredibly dangerous complication um, to to be dealing with at home by yourself. Um, And even just complications from abortions kind of generally, things like maybe bleeding too much. Um, or if all of the fetal tissue is not expelled, they could potentially retain it, and now they developed an infection. Those kinds of complications are just way, way more dangerous when you're at home, unsupervised, and really have no idea what to expect. 
So right now in the states, we have abortion. Some states are giving out abortion. Abortion pills are legal, mm-hmm. and other states, their abortion is restricted or banned or um, limited. Now, what are the sources that people are turning to to find to do self-induced abortions? Sure. So in the states, right, depending on what state you're in, these pills might be available. Um, they might not be. There are services online. Um, a lot of women are turning to the internet to get these pills, um, which is incredibly dangerous because they're getting them from places that are not, um, they don't have the right kind of medical oversight, right? So we're talking about like things like Plan C. You have no idea where they're getting these pills from. Um, some of these pills aren't even from the United States. They're getting them from countries like India. Um, and so you're not even sure, honestly, what you're actually getting let alone having any sort of medical oversight, um, which is one of the really big changes that we're seeing in the States. Uh, It used to be um, the traditional abortion pill experience was you would go to a clinic, you would have your ultrasound done, you would take the first pill there in the clinic, um, the mifepristone, and then they would send you home with the second pill, the misoprostol, and you would take it anywhere from 24 to 72 hours later. Uh, But now we're seeing that women aren't even going to a clinic at all. Um, These surveys that they're filling out to get the pills, there's no way to confirm whether or not, you know, the information that's being put in is correct. Um, So it's really uh, just not a safe avenue that these women are going to to get abortion pills. Um, And that's assuming that they're actually getting the two-step process that we're familiar with here in the States, the mifepristone and the misoprostol. Because on the chat line, if a woman has taken actual abortion pills, because we also deal with women who are doing DIY methods, um, they actually aren't taking the two-step pill process that we're used to here in the States. Um, They've eliminated the mifepristone altogether. They are only taking misoprostol. So they're just taking uh, basically pills to induce those uterine cramps, um, to induce labor, essentially. So just very dangerous situation. What is the response of women when they find out facts about the abortion pill? So internationally, they're often surprised to hear that it can actually be dangerous. Um, These women are being sold these pills without any information. Um, A lot of them are actually being sold fake pills, so they're not even getting what they're being told they're being sold. Um, But they're also not given instructions on how to take these pills. Um, So I've actually talked with clients who will come on and they'll say, hey, you know, are these abortion pills? And they're showing me just a handful of pills with no packaging or anything. Um, And there's all sorts of different kinds. um, And they're taking them all at once because they weren't given any instructions. And what they were actually given might be um, the Cytotec pills or the the Mifepristone you know, the mifepristone, misoprostol pills, Um, but they also might have been prescribed antibiotic pills to take after to prevent infection. Um, Sometimes they're also prescribed anxiety medications because we know that abortions can be traumatic. And some of these doctors are just medicating women to where they're they're numb and they're they're not going to feel that anxiety, Um, but they're not given instructions on how to take them. And so I have clients who are just taking this cocktail of drugs all at once. Um, And so they're surprised to find out that it could actually be harmful to their health because no one even told them how to take these pills, let alone some of the consequences. Now, that sounds very scary um, that that is being made available to women, especially those are very vulnerable uh, in the circumstances. 
So in your experience, what encourages an abortion-minded or abortion-vulnerable women uh, to choose life? I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed is women getting encouragement and support from other women. Um, we live in a society that even though we're touting feminism left and right, um, we are constantly telling women that they are essentially incompetent and not good enough to have children. Um, we are being told that they can't. There is a war on women happening, and it is not about abortion access. It is about women being told that they aren't good enough to be mothers and that our bodies are not strong and that our bodies are not capable of some really cool things. And so I think being able to encourage women that, no, you can do this. You are strong. You are smart. You are competent has been a life changing affirmation for a lot of these women on the chat line because they don't have someone in their lives to tell them that they're just stuck in this rut of being told that being a woman means having the option not to have children. And if you choose to have children, it's somehow anti-feminine. What is the impact that the Promise of Life Network is making? Sure. So locally, um, we serve local clients by providing necessary medical services, right? They can come, they can get that ultrasound, they can get that pregnancy test or STD tests. All of our services are free and confidential. Um, nationally, we actually have published a curriculum to help others learn how to talk about the importance of being pro-life um, as kind of a holistic approach, we say, from womb to tomb, right, from birth to natural death. Um, and we also have published resources for other pregnancy centers to use, especially when it comes to the at-home abortion issue, because a lot of them just aren't familiar with it yet. Um, and we provide training for other pregnancy centers as well on the at-home abortion issue. And then internationally, um, the chat line services hundreds of women every single month. Um, in March of this year, so March 2023, we talked to over 900 women. Um, and so we are able to give them information that they need about at-home abortions. And we're also, every single client that comes to us gets a referral to a pro-life pregnancy center in their country. Wow, that's amazing work. Um, so going back to the abortion pill, uh, is expanding access to abortion. Is that really healthcare? Now you're a healthcare professional uh, or you work in the healthcare field uh, for pregnant women. So what, what would you say about that? Sure. I think, um, you know, I, I also teach in a college classroom setting. So I'm an adjunct professor at a university here. And I always tell my students, we need to go back um, to the original definition, right? What's the definition of what we're talking about? And so when we look at the definition of healthcare, um, it's most largely kind of defined as the maintaining and restoration of health. And so I think if we're going to look at abortion, we have to look at it through that lens when we're, if we're calling it healthcare. Um, and my question is health for whom? Uh, because we're, we, there's two parties when it comes to an abortion. You have the mother and you have the baby. Um, and it's important to recognize that pregnancy is not a disease. It is not a sickness. It is not an illness. It is a natural consequence of sexual activity. Um, and there's also a lot of misinformation, I think, surrounding these new you know, legislative pieces that are coming out regarding care for miscarriage and ectopic pregnancies. Um, those are recognized, you know, diagnosed medical issues that are being addressed. Um, so it's not, we're not taking care away from a woman who has suffered from a miscarriage and needs to have a DNC to get the rest of the fetal tissue out. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about the willing um, and intentional ending of a life. And by definition, that's not healthcare. Tell us about your volunteers and staff. 
Sure. They are the greatest group of people on the planet, in my opinion. Um, so we have 16 staff members here at Promise of Life Network, and then we have over 100 volunteers um, that serve in a variety of different ways. Everything from helping sort out baby clothes to chatting with women on the chat line. Um, we have 20 something volunteers on the chat line alone. Um, and so these are people who are taking time out of their day, money out of their bank accounts to help the pro-life cause. Um, because we think if you're going to you know, encourage these women to, to keep their babies, um, we need to be able to step in and help. And our staff and volunteers have done that. So just so listeners know where to send uh, somebody they come across if they need to connect with you, where does the Promise of Life Network operate? And uh, where can we find more information about that work? Sure. So we have five local offices um, in Slippery Rock, Newcastle, Butler, uh, Mercy, uh, sorry, Mercer and Sandy Lake, Pennsylvania, um, all have physical offices. Um, but they can also connect with us online at promiseoflifenetwork.org. Um, if they're interested in learning more about at-home abortion specifically, uh, they could reach out to us at athomeabortionfacts.com. And if they're interested in looking at the curriculum we've published or they're wanting resources for a pregnancy center or um, some other network, they can reach out to sarahmbowen.org, and that's where you can purchase all of our curriculum. We've got a couple of minutes left, and I was wondering if you can tell us, how did you get involved in, in this line of work? I mean, what, what motivated you? Sure. So when I initially started at Promise of Life Network, I was actually hired as their abstinence coordinator. Um, so I was the person going into the different school districts and talking um, with kids about healthy relationships and sexual integrity. Um, I loved it. I have a communication background. Um, I'm finishing up a PhD in rhetoric and communication. Um, and so I loved the public speaking aspect of it. But in 2020, of course, we all know what happened in 2020. And part of the consequences of that was that the school districts were shut down um, and were just entirely virtual. And so that kind of ended my, my time as an abstinence coordinator uh, because the schools weren't even open for me to go speak to. And so at that time, the chat line had just started taking off. Um, our social media coordinator was kind of handling um, the clients that were coming on. But they just, it was overwhelming, especially once we started getting multiple every day. Um, and so I actually grew up overseas. I did not grow up in the United States. And so they decided, hey, you've got some international experience with different cultures. Why don't you hop on and help with this chat line while we're waiting for the schools to open back up? And so I've been there ever since. Um, and the schools did open back up and we hired a new abstinence coordinator who's doing a fantastic job. Um, and so we're very grateful that we're kind of back in the full swing of things post-pandemic. That is incredible. We thank you so much, Michaela Covington, the Director of International Operations at Promise of Life Network, a medical pregnancy network that serves five counties in Western Pennsylvania and heads an international chat line that has served more than 18,000 women from many different countries in the short time since its conception. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there is always a reason to choose life. <laughs>